say to you that we are a church with a dream. We're also a church with a vision. But we don't just dream dreams and encourage visions. We also have a strategic model, a way of working it out. I want to talk about that today because I want to get busy with the dream. I want to know what God is dreaming over my life. I want to know what Jesus is dreaming over our church. Is there any way that we can hook up with his dream? You see, a dream will inspire you. A vision will give you aspiration, something to go for. And a strategy will give you perspiration. <laughs> now what we have to do to work it out. So we believe in inspiration, aspiration, and perspiration. But without the inspiration of the dream, we are chasing shadows. We are without direction. And we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. And, and I want to focus on that today. And here is a psalm which I want to read to you, Psalm 126. It says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing sheaves with him. This is a people with a dream. They didn't just begin to dream when God restored their fortunes. Read the contrasting Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, yea, we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. And they said, let, let you sing one of the songs of Zion. And we said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The church in captivity. But they said, we're not going to give up on the dream. Oh, yes, our fortunes are, are yet to be restored. Yes, we, we're yet to come into the fullness of the, of the blessing. But, you know, we're not going to give up. We're going to remember Zion. Yes, we are. And we, we're going to say, let my strength fail if I forget Jerusalem. We are not going to forget the dream, even when it's not working and it's around us and it's difficult and, and we're losing ground on every side. And the nations say, look, they make sport of us. They come and sing one of the songs of Zion. <laughs> let's, let's, have, let's have some entertainment. They are there to ridicule us. And, and they said, we're not going to forget the dream. But then when God begins to fulfill the dream, then suddenly it's all changing. We're saying, God, this is amazing. And then the nations say, they say, look what the Lord has done for them. God has done great things for them. And we say, yes, God has done great things for us. And that's when the weeping begins. What kind of weeping now? It's not the weeping of an unfulfilled vision or a dream. It's the blood, sweat, and tears of people who are going victoriously, knowing that when they sow their seed, they're going to reap a harvest. It's people who have a mind to work. It's people who know what God is calling them to do and giving themselves wholeheartedly towards that. Amen and amen. But it all begins with a dream that inspires. One man had a dream. We've been celebrating the life of Nelson Mandela, who had a dream, of course, 
a dream for human rights to all people, whatever color of your skin, but, but a generation or so ago, another man had a dream. His name was Martin Luther King, Jr., and in 1963, on August the 28th, he made a speech which has become known as I have a dream speech. Notice he didn't have a I have a plan speech or I have a strategy speech, I have a dream speech. And the most famous part of that speech, which he presented to 250,000 people who gathered without the use of the internet or text or social media, they gathered because he was connecting with what was going on in their lives, and the civil rights movement was really taken off. And uh, as Martin Luther King Jr. was delivering his speech, which was extremely well-written, well, well worked out, somebody from the crowd said, tell them about your dream, Martin. And that person was Mr. M. Jackson. <laughs> Not... Uh, not the more recent one. It was Mahalia, not Michael Jackson. And this was an African-American gospel singer. He shouted to Martin Luther King from the crowd, tell them about the dream, Martin. And uh, then the political speech ended. And an inspirational preacher took over. Martin Luther King stopped delivering his prepared speech and started preaching and punctuating his points with, I have a dream. And this is how he moves on at that part of the speech. He says, I still have a dream, a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. One day this nation will rise up and live up to its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream. And so spoken in, the, in the, uh, the decade of the 60s and at the height of the turbulent civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr. raised the stakes by saying, what I'm talking about is not about man-made philosophy, ideology. It's coming from a higher power. It's coming from a higher presence. It's coming from the Lord God of the universe who is the king of all kings. I'm just Martin Luther King Jr. But King Senior, King Jesus... He has a dream. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, we read about the dream of Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 18, just go to the heart of it. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. You know, one of the things I want to, before I die and go to be with Jesus, I'm not planning to do it anytime soon. But I want my life to count towards Jesus' dream. And in order to do that, I've got to get behind these words and say, what was in Jesus' mind? What was in his heart when he said, I will build my church? And one of the things that I recognize is that if it was only for what we see, Concerning the church of Jesus Christ in our generation, it's not really worth it. But we've got to get back to the original dream of Jesus. What was he thinking? What was he seeing? And he says, I have a dream. Dream is, dream is visual. And he says, I'm dreaming of this. This is what I see. This is what I'm going to do. He says, this is my prerogative. I take it to myself. It's my right. It's my exclusive right and privilege. I will build my church. 
He is building his church. It is his church. Why? Because he purchased it with his blood. It is his church because it's A, his body, and B, his bride. All this comes out when, throughout the New Testament when Jesus speaks about church. He, he does very little teaching on it directly, but he demonstrates it and gets busy with it. And, and, and it's really only at the cross when the church of Jesus Christ was truly born, because that's when we were redeemed. The apostle Paul, speaking in his practical section of, of teaching about how to live in the Spirit and life and, and in marriage, at home, at work, and, and, and all that, he, he refers to the relationship of husband and wife in marriage. And he likens it to the relationship the church of Jesus Christ has to our Lord, to our head, to our bridegroom. And he says, we are the bride of Christ. And he's really teaching about marriage, and we can see it. But for me, it gives not only a revelation about how we should conduct ourselves in spirit-filled families, but also how we should model our life on the dream of Jesus to work alongside with him and to share this dream with him. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he, may, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So when Jesus said, I'll build my church, he was having a vision of his beautiful bride, like any unmarried eligible bachelor who is in his right mind is dreaming of that right woman to come into his life. And any guy you're struggling with that, I will introduce you to a few women. I'll tell you what, I'm going to have to become a matchmaker because some of you guys aren't dreaming enough yet. <laughs> Look around you. The Bible says, watch and pray. Don't just pray for your wife. Watch and pray. It's not just a bride who dreams of her wedding day. It's the bridegroom who dreams of that moment when the doors open and we have dun, 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 whatever we sing. Amanda, walked, she floated down the aisle in this very church 30 more years ago. I just for that because I can't quite remember right now. <laughs> 1979, so that'll be, we, this will be our, 1979, 94, this will be our 35th wedding anniversary. I wonder what that is. Is that, is, what is that? This year, what is that? Is that, is that rubies? Oh, you heard the story about when it was pearls. I almost went to the bottom of the ocean and got those pearls myself. <laughs> But every bridegroom dreams of that moment when she walks down that aisle. And I don't know how, how you did it or how you intend to do it, but here I say to them in the, in the re rehearsal for the wedding, I say, listen, you turn right round, man. Don't, don't, just, don't just look into the sea. You turn around, have a good look. Have a good look because she's never going to look better than she is today. Well, I know. I don't... <laughs> I'm on dangerous ground. Thin ice I am standing upon. 
But when Jesus said, I'll build my church, he was visualizing, he was seeing in his mind's eye, he was seeing by revelation the finished work. You and I joined together, A, in his body or part of his bride. The two images are complementary. They are showing something important that we are his active body. We are his agent in this world and we are his beautiful bride and we will be together with him in heaven forever and ever. So when Jesus said, I'll build my church, he had a picture of his wedding album even before the wedding had taken place. There she is. Isn't she beautiful? What do we find out about this wonderful woman that is the church of Jesus Christ to be married to Christ forever, joined with him in covenant, eternal covenant? What is it? What, first of all, it is a, a bride without spots. Without spots. And also a bride without wrinkle. Well, I want to say there's only two phases of, one phase of life when she's without spot and when she's without wrinkle. If she's an immature adolescent bride, you're likely to have to use a lot of cover-up. Spotty, it's one of the things that teenagers go through. So this isn't some immature teenage spotty bride. But neither is it as a woman who has passed the bloom of her youth. And if you are over 60 years of age and unmarried, you're planning to get married today, I'm quite sure there's some cream that will help on the day. <laughs> no, the bride that Jesus is preparing for himself is not the immature, spotty bride of an adolescent, nor is it the wrinkled face of a woman who has passed her beauty and her bloom. It is a mature woman. A woman has come to maturity. A woman who has blossomed in all her beauty. And at the peak of her blossom and the peak of her beauty, he says, that's the one. And he is working in us this holiness, washing of water by the word, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, shaped day by day by the word and by the spirit, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. Oh, what a dream. This is his prerogative. It must also be his passion. For Jesus has been busy with this process for more than 2,000 years ago. That's what he's doing in heaven. He's getting ready for his wedding. He's preparing his bride. He's developing his body on the earth. This is his total energy focus, and this is the total focus of his ministry. That tells us something. If Jesus is busy with it because he's inspired by this dream, then we can get in on it as well. There is nothing more that we can do that is more important than partnering with Jesus in the preparation of his bride. Partnering with Jesus in the development of his body. Every ministry in the New Testament is about building one another up and building up the body of Christ so the body might be mature. And Why is it, if it is his prerogative and his passion, why is it so important? It's because it's his purpose. It's his chief purpose. It is what he is all about. He answers the question, why? Why is all about purpose. When we can answer why, we know we've found our purpose. Biggest questions we can ever ask is, why am I here? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What's God's purpose for my life? Let me tell you straight away, we can see it working out and see the sermon developing. God's purpose for you and God's purpose for me is that we join with Christ in his purpose for the universe. The question why is a very good question. 
Why is it that the people who ask why most are little children and philosophers? Little children always ask the question why they do this to distraction. We barely get around able to answer their what questions. Where did I come from, mummy? So you say, okay, well, I'll tell you. Two years of age, so I'm going to have to, you know, really scale it down here and leave out much or most of, you know, all of the biology here, but we're just going to answer that question factually as we can. Perhaps, have you noticed that kids aren't, aren't happy just to know what? They want to know why. Why? Why? And they, it's sort of like a dentist drill. It drills right down to the root. Why? <laughs> why do kids ask why? I got, I'll throw out a theory for you. A theory is this, that God has caused us to come into this world with an inbuilt why. An inbuilt hunger and thirst for purpose. What's our purpose? And little kids, before they get into the adult world, where adults say, shut up, stop asking me why. Because I say so. That's why. And we close down that creativity. We close it down and, and people stop asking why after a certain time. Now, but of course, the people who continue to ask why are the people who never grow up. Don't ever grow up in this area. Preserve that childlike simplicity and questioning of all things. And you could, you know, when, when we look at some of the great philosophers, Socrates, everything was about asking questions. He infuriated people because he kept asking why. And, and when you keep asking why, why am I here? What am I doing? Why, why, why? You drill right down to soon, soon you'll get bedrock. What is your fundamental purpose? Amen. Creative people have the capacity to ask why. Thank God for media, arts, and creativity. And the creativity I'm, not talk, I'm talking about is not just how to win X Factor or to have the voice. I'm talking about everything. Creativity in everything. Looking at things that are and asking why and even going deeper than that. You become the creative innovator. You become the person who breaks through. The person who will not allow the challenges of surroundings and environment or hereditary or anything. You are the kind of person that will break through all those barriers because you're in pursuit of the great why. People who are creative innovators in technology, in science, in industry, in business, are people who don't just ask why, but also ask why not. The difference between somebody who's mediocre and great and all of the above is a mediocre person is content to, to ask why. Why are things as they are? To look at things that are and ask the question why. But once we've done that, we can go deeper. Look at the things that are not and ask why not? Why not? Why not? Why, 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 why not? Why not become the most effective disciple-making center in London? Why not? Why not become a church of victory, a church of power? It's not just about having more people in our buildings. It's about living with purpose. And today I want to connect you with the purpose of Jesus. And I want to answer the question, why should we link with the purpose of Jesus? And I've got two answers this morning. That's all I am able to give in terms of the time. Next week I'll come back and see how this has worked out in, in more detail. Well, the first clue we get 
well, these, these things both come from the second part of the verse, which gives us two clues. The gates of Hades, the gates of death will not prevail against it. So Jesus said, I will build my church. And then he says, the gates of Hades, the gates of death shall not prevail against it. So the first clue, why link with the dream of Jesus? And the answer is victory. That's why. This is the glorious church which is destined to advance and prevail. The gates of hell, the gates of death. What is this talking about? Outside the city or the city gates were the place where the elders and the governors would sit together and meet in council. It was like the town hall, the council chamber for the city. If it was today, we'd find Boris Johnson there. And it's where people deliberate concerning the affairs of the city. But the gates of death, this doesn't sound so good. It's not about God's kingdom. It's about another kingdom. It's about the kingdom of the enemy who wants to destroy the things of God. And that's why the enemy has always tried to destroy the church. But Jesus said, I will build my church, and there's no strategy, there's no counsel from the enemy, whatever authority by which he asserts himself, it shall not prevail. Amen. 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 Victory. So the plans, the machinations, the plots, the aggressive attacks of the enemy against the church will all come to nothing. We are going to prevail. Now, today, we seem to be losing many battles. Have you heard of the saying, we may lose a battle, but we're going to win the war? I'd like to take that further. We may lose some battles, but we have already won the war. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus defeated the enemy on the cross. Satan has been defeated, already destroyed. It's over, game over for him. He's stripped off his power and authority. He's been disarmed. He's been driven out of the heavenlies. No, 2,000 years ago, the war was won. He has prevailed. And so we are his instrument upon this earth through which he exercises his authority and through which he enforces his triumphant victory that was won at the cross. So get involved with the dream of Jesus and you'll find victory after victory coming into your life. Matthew 11 verse 12, it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men lay hold of it. That's the NIV version, international version. The version's based on the King James translation, New King James and King James, is the, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent people, men and, and women of violence, lay hold of it. And so what's the matter with these translations? It's very simple. The original word, the form is identical in its more active mo mood. And it's more passive mood. It's the same, the verbal form is exactly the same. So you can pay your money, take your choice. 
And whenever I have that, I don't say I'm going to choose one interpretation or one translation above the other. I take them both. <laughs> I'm greedy that way. And if there's something that is one word is ambiguous, it's because both translations and interpretations mean something. And I think it's wonderful in the more, in the more active uh, translation, it says, the kingdom of heaven is, is forcefully advancing. I like that. Because it's like, like, like Jesus is saying, the church is going to advance. The church is going to overcome. The church is going to take ground. That's wonderful. And you have to have that same heart and spirit to be forceful in your faith, to lay hold of it and be part of this glorious church of attack, this glorious church of advance, to tear down the strongholds of the enemy, to challenge spiritual powers that have stood for centuries in nations and in tribes that have never been challenged. We can challenge them in the name of Jesus because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings truth to the strongholds of Satan's lies and deceptions. But the other, the more passive use of the verb, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. In other words, that's an invitation for you to rise up and lay hold of the kingdom. It's saying, come on, it's available. The kingdom is here. Reach out and grab it. Rise up and take it. You, you can violently, as it were, lay hold of the kingdom. And when you do that, you advance. So either it's the kingdom advancing in the world or you advancing in the kingdom, but there is no retreat because Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing shall be able to prevail against it. This means that we can rejoice. If we are part of his plan and dreaming his dream and part of the outworking of it, we can say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. We can say, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. We can say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. And this is the victory of our faith. We believe that Jesus is the Christ and has overcome the world. So this dream of Jesus is going to work. And it's not just like it's going to work. It is working. And from the very first time when Jesus announced it. He said it in motion. It was working then. And throughout every age in history, even some of the less uh, prominent ages of the church, where the church seemed to be on a, on, a, on a retreat rather than on an advance, God was still working. He was still building his church. Jesus was still active. He wasn't saying, well, we've had three generations of setback. No, he knows what he's doing. The head of the church of Jesus Christ is pursuing his vision. He's following his dream. But the first foretaste of this that we see in the Gospels is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. It's very important that we understand this point. Because I'm about to read some of the verses, and the verses you want to focus on, I want to focus on, are great victory verses, verses of authority. Let's go straight to it. Luke 10, verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I've been in places in the world when I've claimed that one, I'll tell you that much. I've been in places in the world where they give me to eat and drink. Oh, Father in heaven, I needed a miracle. But Jesus says, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. 
and over all the power of the enemy. We say, hallelujah, that's for me. I don't know what God gave you to give to me today, but it's absolutely amazing. You have no idea, Colin, how much I need that, how much I need that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hold it right there because I haven't told you the rest yet. Before you and I can grab hold of that promise and say, thank you, Jesus, you're giving me authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, you've got to look at the context. What is the context? Jesus has been developing not just his 12 and sending them out to preach and teach and heal and deliver. He's also extending that ministry. And on one occasion, he sent out the 70 and he said, go, 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 go and do the work. Two by two, he sent them out. They were there and uh, when they came back, after this mission, they said, it's amazing. Jesus, you have no idea. Even demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus is so full of joy. This is what he says. Verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's what he says. He says, while you were going out, I was watching in the spiritual realm, and I could see all over the nation Satan falling like lightning, falling like lightning, falling like lightning. As you go out and preach the gospel, then authority is released, and Satan's kingdom comes down. It was falling like lightning, falling like lightning. And he says, that's why I'm giving you authority. To trample on serpents and scorpions. Don't be so amazed and astonished that the demons were subject to you in my name. This is the purpose. We are invading the territory of the enemy. We're tearing down the satanic strongholds. And all the structures that are visibly manifested on the earth. And he says, that's why I'm giving you authority. Amen. But he said, anyway, finally, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then the very next verse goes on to say, in that hour, verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. Now, what is he rejoicing about? I'm going to give you my uh, paraphrase of this, then we'll read what he actually said. Because what was going on there was a lot of joy in Jesus' spirit. He was saying, Father, it's going to work. It's working. The dream is going to be fulfilled. But this is what he actually said. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to, la to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. He says, God, this is going to work. The revelation is going to come to any person who's humble enough to say, I need Jesus. Humble enough to say, show me your kingdom. That person is going to receive the revelation of the Father and be able to say with every Bible-believing Christian from that day to this, I know who you are, Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Hallelujah. Victory! Victory. So you know what this means? It means if you take on God's dream, then you will have victory in your life. A lot of people think, you know, well, God's got his plans and his ways are higher than my ways. And certainly his ways are not my ways. I will pursue my ways. And every Sunday, drop something in the offering and say, here's for your dream, Jesus. Even at the best, it's 10%. 90% is for me. 90% is for my life. 90% is what I want to do in life. I have a dream. I have a vision. I have an ambition. I want to be this. I want to do that. I want to go there. No, no, no. Stop. Say, God, show me your dream. 
Because I'll tell you something, you take care of his dream, he'll take care of your dreams. There's no doubt about that. And when you line up with his kingdom, when you line up with his purposes, you are cooperating with how God is working out his purposes from eternity to eternity. And you're going to get caught up in this and your life is going to be blessed. It may take on a very, very different turn. I'm still rather, I've got some creative people here on the front row. I'm still rather impressed by my ability after all these years to stand in fifth position. But actually, in the ministry, I don't quite know how important it is to learn to walk like that. Charlie Chaplin made a fortune out of it. But I'm telling you that and showing you that because I wasn't headed for this. My, 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 my ambition was taking me just a little bit to the other side of town. We're in the right westerly direction, but it's right there in the west end. There's a building there. It ain't a church. It's called Covent Garden Opera House. And you know I didn't get there by singing. All right, you know that. But God took hold of my life and he said, this dream of yours is amazing, but mine is better. Mine is better. The first week I found Christ, I said, forget it. None of this done stuff for me. Now, a lot of people can fulfill God's vision and dream by being where God has placed them. But some of us, a minority of us, are taken right out of that. If you are dreaming in some area in life, in business, whether it is in, in education, teaching, or whatever is there, and God has put it in your spirit, stay where you are and flourish where you are and bring the kingdom where you are. And in a short while, I was actually a professional dancer. There were more Christians at the end of that time than at the beginning. Hallelujah. Because whoever you are, you just live for Jesus. Wherever you are, you live for Jesus. But you know, I realized that God had a dream for my life that was bigger and better than anything I could dream for myself. And I said, God, I see you. My ideas are great, but your ideas are better. Come on, let's go. And he said, stay there, stay, hold, hold it, hold it. Learn about my timing. So here, here, here we go. When, when we follow God's dream, we don't miss out. It becomes better for us. God's authority is established in our life. We find ourselves doing things that we wouldn't ordinarily be able to do. Because he introduces us to the Holy Spirit who enables us to bear witness to Christ. So my first word is victory. And my second word is this, eternity. It's a very significant word. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of death shall not prevail against it. He was saying, my dream for you doesn't end at your death. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, if there's no resurrection, actually, we're of all men most miserable. Because we're not living for that which can be achieved and to come to fruition and fullness in this life only. No, we are sowing seed for the future. And Jesus says, whenever you are involved in my dream, you're getting hold of something that won't end the day you die. It will it go beyond the grave. Death cannot destroy this dream and vision. And yet for so many of the things that we live for, if they are earthly things, they die with you. You can't take anything with you. They can take all the books that you wrote and put them in your coffin with you. They can take all the, all the achievements, all the accolades, all the trophies, all the degrees. 
that you earned in your life. They can put it in the coffin. You can't take it with you. But what you do for God, when you line up with his dream, whatever you do, he says it won't end in death or by your death. It will go on beyond that. This is something of eternal worth, of eternal value. Even our secular age is beginning to understand that there is something in our hearts that causes us to want to live beyond our own lifetime. I'm not talking about those false medical attempts to, for physical immortality that exists. I'm talking about the people who say, well, we know that we dream of something that is going to be around after we're gone. And so following all the theology, if you like, certainly the philosophy of evolutionary biology, they say, don't worry, you die, you go back, but your, your kids live on. And you live on. That's your resurrection. Because they're carrying your genes. And so we're encouraged. Even they say that's one of the reasons why the instinct to reproduce is so strong because of the evolutionary desire that we have is gained by evolution so that we, we can survive. I mean, this is people who are in search of a purpose and using a very, very pathetic philosophy in order to get there. Why don't you just come to Christ? He'll tell you about the future. He's been to the grave. He's been back again. He's not going to lie to you. He says, you work with me. Uh, let, let's flow together. Cooperate with me. And what you will have is going to go beyond. Others say, no, well, of course, I'll leave a legacy. I'll leave a legacy. I'll change the world and leave an imprint. Well, a, a few people managed to do that. And I do not denigrate their efforts and attempts for people to change society. And we're still talking about people way after they're gone. Nelson Mandela will be talked about for generations to come. We're still talking about Martin Luther King Jr. These people made a big impact. But you know, at the end of the day, it is still investing in the earthly realm. And the Bible says the day is coming when the elements will melt with fervent heat. And this world and all that is in it is passing away. Because the things that we see are temporal. But the things that we cannot see are eternal. You're putting your money in a bank that will last forever. That's what he's saying. This is the one thing that's going to stand the test of time. The church of Jesus Christ is indestructible. And it's at the heart of God's eternal plan. His eternal purpose. God only has plan A. In a, a, a person has plan B. A backup plan is if plan A doesn't work. And you need one virtually every day of your life. To get to work tomorrow morning, have a plan A and also plan B. Because there's often disruption and so on. You need plans A, B, C, and D just to get through one week in London. Is that not right? But Jesus is not like us. God the Father has created his plan. And he's sticking to it. And there is no way that this plan is going to fail. There is plan A and after that still plan A and after that still plan A. This tells us it's going to work and it's going to last. It's at the heart of his eternal plan and purpose. In fact, it's, it's his consummate plan, his ultimate purpose. I want you to understand sometimes uh, Christians teach stuff which is not exactly in line with the Bible. And here's one of the teachings which we don't follow. And the idea is that God's real purpose is with Israel. We're just an afterthought. He came to bring the kingdom to Israel. And when they said no, God said, oh dear, what am I going to do now? All right, so I better, oh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll move from plan A, and I'll come with a plan B. I'll build the church, and when the church has got out of the way, then I'll pick up my plans with Israel again. 
No, God has only ever had one plan, and that's to have a family to bring all things together in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. This is his ultimate plan, his ultimate purpose. It's going to outlast not just your life, not just my life. It's going to outlast this very universe in its present form. It will survive the new heavens and the new earth. And in the new heavens and the new earth, we will see the fulfillment of all this that's been in the heart of God. Ephesians 1 verses 9 and 10 tell us about this. It's called a mystery. And by mystery, we're not talking about Agatha Christie and Hercule Poirot show. It's not like a murder mystery. Find out who done it. No. The word mystery in the Bible is another word for revelation. But the twist of this is something was not previously revealed but existed now is being openly revealed. Something previously hidden now is openly revealed. That's the technical definition of the word mystery. So God has made known to, uh, to us in our generation, Paul writes, he's made known to us something that was not revealed in the same way to previous generations, and this is the mystery of the gospel, and God says, I'm going to reveal my purpose, and he says, this is the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. The church was his idea he didn't go around a buzz group, focus group, say, come on now, I'm running out of ideas. It's a bit boring, lonely up here in eternity. What am I going to do? Why didn't you create something? Well, okay, what's that? Well, who was there to turn to? Who was there? He did he purposed this in himself. This comes from the very heart of God. This is the Father's plan. This is the Father's purpose. And it's the only plan he has. It's, it's everything wrapped up in this. The purpose, your purpose in himself that when in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he's working out his purpose. The word dispensation here means the administration of God from heaven over the things that are happening on the earth. And God is totally in control of this. And he is working out his plan, having first planned his work. He now works out his plan. And there is a coming of fullness of the times when all this will come together. And he said, it will be like this. He will gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are upon the earth. Do you know the church of Jesus Christ is the only organization that doesn't lose members through death? Think about it. We don't lose members through death. <laughs> when they die, they go to the heavenly congregation, but they're still there. But God's going to bring it all together. Everything in Christ, both things which are in heaven and which are on the earth. This is his ultimate purpose. His plan is to have a very big family. He's building his church and Jesus was prepared to put his life blood where his vision and dream was. He was prepared to give his very life for us that we might be his body, that we might grow and develop to become mature and re-reach, rise to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and to exhibit Jesus to the world, to be his arms and his feet right out there in the world and he works through us, Jesus is coming back to manifest himself in his church fully before he comes back to take his church to be with himself. This is God manifesting himself in his body. And he says, not only that, you're not just my body. You're not just there to do work for me. He says, you are my bride. I'm talking about a covenantal relationship in which you and I will live together forever in the fullness of everything that I have and all that I have will be yours. You are sons and daughters. You are my bride. Every particular human relationship is used to describe all that Jesus had in his mind when he said, I will build my church. 
victory, eternal worth and value. So as we come this morning, I'm going to ask you some questions. Are you ready to dream his dreams? Are you ready to lay aside your dreams and say, God, I'm just going to trust you here. I'm going to trust you that, that whatever you put in my heart by way of aspiration and by way of ambition, by way of ability and talent, I'm going to trust that as I yield my life to you fully, you're going to take that up in a fully satisfying way and you're going to use me as your instrument in the church of Jesus Christ and a representative of the church of Jesus Christ, lined up with the authority of the church of Jesus Christ, lined up with the vision of the house, dreaming God's dreams, and you're going to take care of the rest. Amen. Amen. Are you willing to dream his dreams, to join Jesus in his dream? I make it almost my daily prayer and meditation. Jesus, show me more about your dream. When you said, I'm going to build my church, what did you mean? What does it look like? Show me. And we have passage after passage in the scripture. Of course, when we go to the book of Revelation, we have, the, we have real insights into where it's going to end up. But that's future, that's where we're going to be with Christ in heaven, but when we see it worked out, we see Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I'm going to use you to build one another up in the body of Christ, I'm going to use you to make disciples, I'm going to use you to build the reputation and fame of God in our generation again and reclaim some stuff, don't we have some stuff to reclaim, hallelujah. I was praying, praying the prayer, and I was very thankful that that Bruce picked up on it in his opening prayer, did you get it? This is 2014. By whose calendar? By whose calendar? It ain't, it ain't that in Jewish calendar. It ain't that in Muslim calendar. It ain't that in Hindu calendar. It ain't that in Chinese calendar. 2014? What is before that? A.D. Anno Domini, isn't it? Anno Domini. Is it dominoes? Domini, Domini. I don't know. I don't know how to conjugate Latin verbs. A.D., the year of our Lord. That's the Christian calendar. But now you won't see that very often. You will see C.E., common era. You'll even see A.H. And that if you add about 600 years to it. Oh, wonderful. What a wonderful opportunity. When what was just cultural. People didn't know why A.D., A.D. this, A.D. They didn't know why. It's the year of our Lord. That's what it is. And as Christians, we can rise up and reclaim the year of our Lord. And we can actually now go into a culture which has lost its Christian framework and put it right back and let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Don't just A.D., write it down out of habit because it's the way we do things in the West. It's not a Western world looking at things. It's a Christian worldview. This is the year of our Lord. This is the year that God has made. And not just the year, but every day. This is the day of the Lord for us. Hallelujah. And so we become an active participator in the outworking and fulfilling of his dream and his vision. We wait upon him for that anointing of victory. And we yield to his influences and say, God, sanctify me. Jesus, I'm going to be part of that bride. I am. I don't want any spots or wrinkles. Help me, Lord. Purify me. Sanctify me, make me glorious, let me reflect your glory. And not just as individuals, but as a church, we are being changed from glory to glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Yield to his influences. Become a church builder. Today, 2014, I make it my goal. I am going to commit it today. I'm going to become a church builder, not a church destroyer. I'm not just going to be a Sunday Christian and attend a building. I'm going to be part of the body of Christ. I'm going to open up to the sanctifying influences, the beautifying, the beauty treatment of the Holy Ghost, so I become more like Jesus, a bride fit for the bridegroom. Become an encourager, one who is for the church of Jesus Christ, not against them. Never talk down against the church. Don't ever talk against the church. We can sit amongst ourselves and say, oh, God, help us. The church is in a mess. Don't do that outside of here. Don't do that outside of you. Talk about the good things that are happening. We know we need to change. We know stuff has to happen. In fact, I believe the whole of the Western world has to, has to have a whole new concept of church. I think we need a reformation. It's going to shake the hell out of people and shake the heaven in people. All right. We do. And in this church, one of our primary values is we innovate. We don't just do what other people do. We say, Jesus, what do you want us to do? And it's not about Colin Dye. It's not about taking the biggest auditorium of the city and showing off with some high-paying, pre high high-paid preacher from somewhere or other. It's about saying, mobilize you, 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 you. Come on, get into it, get into it, get into it, get into it, get into it. Become part of the dream. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about how it works, but I just want to inspire you. Next week, I'll perspire you. <laughs> but it's inspiration and aspiration. But we know that if it's valuable, we're going to have to work it out. They said, we sow in tears, we reap in joy. And I tell you what, it's, that's not the whole story. That's one third of the story. Because there's two other elements. It's not just tears. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Welcome to Kensington Temple. <laughs> Amen. But if you have a dream, you're following a dream. Those civil rights people, they, 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 they had to shed their blood, as you know. They had to fight against a system that had not yet been fully reformed right back from the emancipation of slaves. That's why Martin Luther King Jr. used some of that, that speech and made reference. If you read the language, see it analyzed. The internet does it beautifully. It's all kinds of stuff on it. He said, it's not, the job's not done. Yes, slavery is over, but the job's not done. It's, we still don't have an equal and just society. Black and white are not equal in our society. And Martin Luther King did it. Cost, in fact, it cost him his life, as you know. I don't know who shot him. Maybe you do. Not personally, of course. But, but we know that he died for his cause. But it's worth it if you have a dream worth living for. It's a dream worth giving your life to. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the glorious church. The glorious church that is being brought into being because you have a dream, Lord Jesus. The King of Kings, a heavenly dream, a dream that is birthed in the heart of the Father, a dream that brings together in one dream all that God ever wants to do in our world and in our universe. And the wonderful thing is you invite us to be part of it. We yield to you, Lord Jesus. We surrender to you and say, we take your dream because it inspires us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.